Welcome to the Doggy Dojo. I'm your host, Susan Light, a Los Angeles-based dog trainer on a quest to become worthy of the title Sensei of the Doggy Dojo. Today, we're continuing our discussion of equipment. I think it's really important for us to all understand the equipment we're using with our animals because these products are unregulated. They're not required to be safety tested, effective, or humane. Yet, I feel like most people have faith that if these products are available, they're all those things. And that's why my guest, Renee Rhodes of R Plus Dogs, is here to share her, in her own words, big feelings about equipment. We want you to understand what it's doing to your dog, how to keep them safe while treating them humanely, and how to still effectively use equipment in your training and management of your dog. We started with collars and harnesses. If you haven't listened to that episode, make sure to check it out because all dogs need a collar and or a harness. And we're continuing our conversation with more equipment every dog needs, leashes. We pick up our discussion where we left off, the desire to give our dogs as much freedom and choice as we safely can. Welcome back, Renee Rhodes. So let's talk about leashes and, and some pros and cons there. Yeah. So the kind of standard, um, the standard leash isn't that long at all. I think most of them are, you know, around hovering around five foot and that seems like a lot of room. Um, but you know, when I look at kind of maybe I have an old leash that I've had since Nero was a puppy. So Nero's 10. I look at that leash that I used to walk him on um, when he was younger and I'm like, wow, this is so short. Like, <laughs> you know, no wonder you were pulling. Um, <laughs> whereas now a five meter or like a 15 foot is our daily, you know, that's what we use on a daily. So uh, a lot of leashes, I feel like the ones you just kind of get generically in the store, they are really short and those do have their purposes. Like if you live in an, you know, an urban environment or you're just doing a really quick walk and you want to keep the dog close to you, um, that might be a good leash for, an, you know, a, a period of time. As far as, you know, benefits, I think those are probably the only benefits is that, you know, the dog stays close to you. I think with the the normal kind of leashes, um, we get a lot of restriction and therefore we're more likely to see a lot of those frustration related behaviors. So it's amazing once I say to clients, you know, okay, well, what is, what's the leash you're using? And they tell me, and I'm like, get a longer one. So sometimes it takes convincing <laughs> and it depends <laughs> again on the environment. Um, but even if they have a short one for maybe road walking and then they get to an open space and they transfer them on to the long line, perfect. But this in itself, when a dog is pulling, a lot of times we switch them to the longer leash and that pulling just disappears. And yes, it is because they have more freedom, but then that gives us an opportunity to practice utilizing the dog walking next to us, reinforcing the dog for walking next to us. Because, you know, normally if we're using that short leash, it becomes uncomfortable where they want to move away from us. They're, you know, they're learning bad habits on pulling and pulling. So it allows us an opportunity to not only give the dog more freedom, but also bring back the good in being near us and walking with us. Yeah. I think people think of leash walking as like one skill. They're like, oh, I want them to do this one skill. But really good leash walking is the culmination of a lot of skills and maturity mm -hmm. and confidence. 
uh, that dogs have. And so I think people don't see the wood for the trees sometimes when they're thinking about leash walking. Yeah. And I mean, I think of it as a, a complex behavior that needs a lot of time. So um, it's not something that your dog is going to learn contrary to popular social media posts. Your dog <laughs> is not going to learn it in 15 minutes. Yep. Your dog is not going to learn it in one session. You know, it's multiple, multiple sessions. So it is a long-standing behavior that you need a long reinforcement history and also a lot of being able to generalize, you know, different contexts, different environments, different sounds, all these kind of things factor into also, you know, what has your dog done in the day? Has your dog been sleeping? Has your dog been dying to go out for a walk? And then you put them on a four foot lead and go fly me around kite. Like it's not <laughs> going to work. Yeah. Such a good point. Uh, so let's talk about those retractable leads. I think people uh, maybe call them flexi leads as well, where the it's like a little wire and it gets sucked back into a holder, sort of like a vacuum cord kind of thing. <laughs> I know them all too well, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I've actually been burnt by one, um, not by my dog's doing, but um, it was probably about maybe 15 years ago. I had a, a Jack Russell, um, maybe even longer than that. Oh, goodness. Um, I had a Jack Russell and my mom and I were walking him and he was on a flexi and we were just walking, you know, kind of in this neighborhood um, and we walked by this house and there was nothing out in the front yard to, to start with. And then these two dogs came around, I mean, running around the house and we were like, oh goodness. So we moved away um, and they came out from underneath the chain link fence and they attacked my dog. Oh my God. And so when they attacked him, they kind of um, like usually in the front of houses, I'm from Maryland. So like usually in the front of houses, <laughs> there's like these like little ditches. Um, so like where water can drain and stuff like that. So the dogs latched onto him. They started to kind of have a little bit of a fight, a tussle. And so they all went down into this kind of little ditch area. And I instinctively went to grab the line and it cauterized around just the kind of where your fingers meet your kind of palm. Uh. It cauterized I cauterized across there just oh. so, so quickly. And the smell of burning flesh um, is not pleasing and the pain was immense. So I, whenever somebody is talking about using a retractable, you know, when you say like <laughs> with dogs kind of like single events sometimes can be extremely traumatic. Um, you know, that single event for me is something that always, <laughs> always flashes back into my mind. So if you are going to use a retractable, I would suggest using one that is a tape rather than the string. So if you do have any ones that are kind of thinner, um, those would not be advisable by me or my hand. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> oh, man. But, exactly. Um, but even the ones that are tape, they're usually made of like a nylon material. And that in itself can burn as well. So, you know, I wouldn't suggest them with... Um, situations where maybe it's an environment that might be unpredictable, like that walk was, you know, we weren't expecting to encounter those dogs. We weren't expecting them to come under the fence. Um, and it was, you know, just an accident that kind of happened. But if you know that you're going to be going someplace and your dog's going to be running around and there might be, you know, some things happening in the environment, other dogs, you know, that kind of stuff, um, I would be unlikely to recommend 
that you use retractable. Um, even you in also, situations. Oh, I'm sorry. I was gonna say you can't okay. you can't reel it in either, right? Like on a long line, I can start walking up the leash and reel in the dog if I have to. What you're saying is you tried to do that and it burnt you, but the mechanism it doesn't have a built-in mechanism to reel it in, right? Yeah, it's built on kind of tension, but um, I call it like fishing for dogs. So like if you want to get your dog back, you have to like reel it, you have to reel in and then you have to lock it and then you have to pull back and then you have to reel in and you lock it and pull back. So, you know, you're, you're having to do a really a lot of kind of pulling of your dog if you want to get them back or running up close to your dog if they're not running in front of you um, and kind of lock it. But the other scary thing is, you know, sometimes people use these with like rescue dogs or dogs that are fairly new to them or puppies. And they are so cumbersome and big that if you're not paying attention or say your hand's a little sweaty or something like that and your puppy or dog pulls, it if it goes out of your hand, what will happen generally is there'll be, even if, if it's locked, if it's locked, sometimes I feel like it's worse, but your dog will start running. And then if that drops to the ground, most dogs, I would say, would be a little uh, shocked by that happening. So they might be startled. And then as they're running, this thing is like skipping along, chasing them, <laughs> making all this noise. So for some dogs, that would keep them running. Um, yeah. So something like that can sometimes be a little bit tricky. Yeah. Why? Wow. That's a lot of aspects of it that I hadn't thought of. To me, I just feel like they're so... Um, people just sort of think that they don't have to pay attention. So they're oh, just like yeah. having it. And so they're not paying attention and then they can, you can trip people and dogs and they can get tangled and things. I mean, there's a million reasons not to use them. It sounds like, <laughs> and I can't think of any positives to be honest. Well, um, it's funny because when you mentioned that, I remember a client telling me about <laughs> they had a, a dog who was doing really well, um, really uncomfortable with other dogs, but they went to the vet and um, <laughs> this dog on a retractable all the way on the other side of the vet practice and just casually walking over and their human is on their phone. Just, you know, hey, hey there, how you doing? And she's like, uh, excuse me, could you... Um, get your, and not paying attention. So the dog's casually coming over on this retractable. No idea. The dog was just walking all around. And it's like the whole point, you know, of a leash is a management tool. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it should be used for management. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely think that that is something that a lot of, and especially on roads that always, makes yeah. me nervous. Um, or, you know, around corners when you see the dog first and you're like, that's a flexi. The other um, really quick thing I would say is when you're working with a dog who is um, maybe struggling with the environment or other dogs, one of the kind of worst things I think is, um, for me at least, if I have my dogs kind of off leash, I can usually tell if somebody has their dog on lead. So if you have a dog that's uncomfortable with the environment um, and other dogs, let's say, specifically, I can't tell if your dog is on leash. So if I can't tell if your dog mm. is on leash and I think your dog's off lead and we kind of, you know, pass you or whatever, and I have to wear glasses. So like, if I'm not wearing my glasses, you're, you know, I really can't tell your dog's not on a leash. Um, so, <laughs> you know, if I don't see that definitive sign and my dog, you know, one of my dogs is highly social. So I'll be looking and I'll be watching your dog's body language. And if your dog seems like they want to play, I have no idea your dog's on lead. So if my dog comes over and wants to play and then you're like, oh, he's on lead. I don't know that. So sometimes mm. the flexi lead in itself 
can be um, deceiving, you know, because the yeah. dog's way out in front of you playing, running around. So, so if you thin. have a dog, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if, if you have a dog that is uncomfortable with other dogs on the environment, getting like a high vis color of a long lead, I would see that. As a partially blind person, I would be able to see that. Um, but I can't see necessarily you on a flexi um, letting your dog kind of roam around. So that's also something to consider if you do have. And I, I appreciate that people want to give their dogs more space and room to sniff. And that's good. But you don't want dogs running up to your dog or you don't want people to allow your their dogs to run up to your dog if they can't tell that your dog is on lead and your dog's on lead because you're trying to keep them safe. Yeah. And I will say that if you want to give your dog more freedom, they do make awesome long lines and a bunch of materials. There is a little bit of a learning curve to a long line. I'm not going to pretend that there isn't. I'm not for you and your dog, right? I'm not saying you can throw a 30 foot leash on your dog and expect you both to be able to handle it without getting tangled. Um, but it's worth practicing and it's worth learning. Um, and your dog trainer can certainly show you how to manage that extra leash, you know, to make it longer and shorter. And just ultimately, it's going to be so much safer for everybody than that retractable leash. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of the first things I work with, and I use a lot of long lines on most of my clients' um, dogs, but if it's a if it's a reactive dog, so a dog that struggles in the environment, one of the first things we learn and talk about is long line management and getting comfortable with that. So yes, I, I completely agree. It does take a little bit of um, you practicing, but definitely worth it. Do you have anything else to say about leashes before I move on? I would recommend, so if you are thinking about getting a leash, um, obviously we've said like as long as you can manage. I like a 15 footer. So I think that's really, really comfortable for every day. Um, it really depends on the environment and things like that. But I would say, yes, definitely getting something in a bright color that stands out against grass or, um, you know, whatever mud, uh, sand, whatever kind of environments you frequent, bright, bright colors. Um, and biothane. I cannot, once I switched to biothane, I was like, where have you been all my life? Like, what have I been... <laughs> Why have I been with these other leashes? Like, you're the only one for me. Um, I will say that with a biothane line, if it gets wet, a lot of them, the only thing they're lacking sometimes is um, the ability to grip. So I yeah. wear some like really thin, they actually are, they don't have any, um, they're fingerless gloves essentially, but they're really thin fingerless gloves. They're comfortable for summer. They're great, you know, in winter as well. But you will need to have something like that if you're frequenting kind of wet environments. But absolutely, that would be my recommendation for a leash is, is biothane, you know, as long as you can manage and a bright color for sure. Yeah. And they're so easy to clean. Oh, so easy. We're going to take a short break, but you can find Renee at www.rplusdogs.com. Remember, R plus stands for positive reinforcement. She's also R plus dogs on Instagram and TikTok and R plus dogs behavior on Facebook. I've linked all those in the show notes for you and we'll be right back. So let's move on to some management tools. Uh, you mentioned like the puppy kit. I loved the way you said that. So, uh, and you mentioned in there crates, I would add like X pens, baby gates, maybe tethers. Um, what are some, and it's, it's important to also for people to understand why we're using these things, uh, what situations make them aversive and what situations don't. 
Okay, so um, we're going to start with crates because that's nice and spicy. Um, every time I post about crates, I um, I think we're just so it's like we have a love affair with crates. Like we just don't, you know, it's like a brand new love. And you're like, don't you say anything bad about them? I love them so much. Um, you know, you defend <laughs> them to the end. <laughs> so I feel like that's what we're like with crates. Um, I have used crates and I just want to precursor this by saying one of my dogs sleeps in a crate. Um, and so I'm not anti-crate. I have clients and we use crates, you know, but it's the way in which we use them. So I don't think that crates should be conditional for dogs. So you shouldn't have a crate because you have a dog. You know, it's it's not a reason. It's not in that puppy kit for me. So like when a puppy client comes to me, I, you know, I did a post about this, but I don't, I, I will not openly recommend a crate. I will not say, oh, well, you definitely need a crate. You know, if they have certain goals, then we will talk about crates. We'll talk about the benefits. We'll talk about, you know, your dog may not like their crate. For me, I think we have to consider, you know, a lot of factors when it comes to crates. So first of all, is going to be, what is your environment like? You know, do you have the ability to have a, a different space for your dog? Do you have a pen? You know, do you have a room? Um, you know, even some points you could do some some tethering on a, a harness. You know, what is your environment look like? Is there a way for you to manage your dog effectively, safely, without using a crate? And if you are going to use a crate, um, get a big crate, get bigger than you think, you know, bigger than, you know, whatever you can manage in the environment, because a lot of times we get crates and they're tiny little things. I mean, I equate it to like sleeping in a closet, you know, would you want to sleep in a closet? But no, maybe there's cake in the closet, you know, people <laughs> bring things in the closet, you have to have your dinner in the closet. You know, it's not, not saying that a, you know, a closet is a, a crate necessarily, because obviously, you know, crates are largely see-through, but you know, the space confines, I think it's a little, it's a little too, too less from, you know, what dogs need and dogs need to move around. Sometimes they want to lay flat out and some crates don't allow that. Um, so Crates for me are something that I think are a contentious point. We also have to remember that dogs are not den animals. So we like to hold on to this narrative as well. You know, my dog finds it their safe space. My dog needs a den. Your dog might have that as a safe space, but that's only for me if you're not offering other spaces where your dog feels safe. So if that's the only place that your dog can go where they're not bothered, and, you know, they don't have to deal with the other dog or the kid or, you know, the busy household or a drafty front room. You know, these are considerations that we don't really think about. So you might on the surface see my dog goes in his crate all the time. But are there other spaces that your dog enjoys? And then there's also conditioning. So how much have you conditioned your dog to love, quote unquote, their crate? You know, is it a thing that they would naturally choose or have you made this the only option where all the food happens or, you know, you've reinforced them for going in the crate. So maybe they're just doing it out of habit. I think these are things that we consider or we should consider when we're talking about crates. So I'm lucky. I appreciate that. I'm lucky. I have a room that I can have for one of my dogs because my dogs are always separate whenever they have anything. Um, and that's a huge man management point that I have, um, having multiple dogs. 
So yes, he goes into his room. He's happy to go into his room. We have trained him to go into his room. Does he love being in his room? No, he'd rather be out of his room. <laughs> so even, you know, that we're trying to make it as nice as possible. Does he go into his crate? It's open all day. Not that often. You know, he'd rather be in the larger space, able to move around and lay down freely and, you know, have a bit more kind of room. So it's not something that happens to be a conditional thing for a dog. If you have the space, if it, you know, if your environment is conducive to having another management tool or, you know, however you want to set it up, I would look at that first and then look at a crate as maybe possible or, you know, this is the thing we have to use because we don't have the space. But I, I just feel like crates and dogs, they're not, you know, one in, in the same. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I have lots of clients that don't use crates for sure. Hmm. But you're right. It's this, it's an easy, safe place for them. So we need to create other safe places for them. Because the idea is if you can't watch your dog 100% of the time, especially a little puppy, the point of a crate is just we need them to be safe. So if we can create that in another space, then we can do that. Yeah. And we don't know, yeah. like, our dogs just shut down when you put them because you put them in the crate and then you shut the door, you know? So do they understand? Possibly, quite possibly. Do they understand, like, I'm not getting out? So am I just, you know, that's where we see, like, the dog, my dog only switches off when I put him in his crate because he has no other choice, you know? So it's things like that as well to consider. Are we, we're not necessarily teaching the dog to be calm. We're teaching the dog to give up. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So alternates to crates, you mentioned tethers. Mm. And tethers can be as simple as sticking the whole of a leash through a big piece of furniture or tethering it to something that's solid. But you have to be careful. Make sure that it's heavy and strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely seen that go wrong. Yeah. Depending on the furniture you choose and the dog you choose. Um, I know some trainers who actually mount tethers in their house, but not too many dog owners that probably want to do that. Yeah. It's not a decorative item, is it? Like, <laughs> no, it's not attractive. Well, that's, my tether, that's my tether mount. You know, oh, I got it from, you know, I don't know. Crate Ace hardware. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you don't have to have a tether mounted to a wall. Uh, you can create tethers very easily with leashes. Yeah. And I think tethers for me, um, you know, besides X-Pens or baby gates and things like that, if we have more of an open plan environment um, and, you know, the dog is allowed to kind of freely, it depends again on space and, you know, the the setup, but the dog is allowed to move around, say they want to play with toys or they're using like a, you know, a Kong and they want to throw it around and, you know, move it, or they're doing things that involve a little bit of movement. A tether can sometimes be nice for that. Um, I most recently used a tether in a situation where there was an older dog and a young puppy and the puppy did not like the crate. So they had tried, um, but, you know, often they were using the crate in situations where we're leaving. So we put him in the crate for safety. Now he doesn't want to go in the crate anymore. And we tried, <laughs> believe it or not, I tried to recondition the crate and the dog said no. So we then switched and we couldn't use a pen because of the space. There was no ability to use a, a baby gate because it wasn't that kind of setup. So we went to a tether um, and that allowed the puppy to move around. You know, we heavily reinforced kind of the, the settle aspect of things, but still giving things to do. So it's not a, you know, a shutdown situation. Um, 
And that worked really well because it allowed the older dog a lot more freedom and no longer was the young puppy, especially in times where they weren't able to supervise, no longer was the young puppy bothering the older dog, which was the reason why I was called in because the puppy and the older dog were not getting along because Mm -hmm. he had free access to him all the time. Yeah. That's a, that's a common problem. Don't let your puppy harass your older dog. Yeah. It's not going to be good for their relationship at all. And, you know, older dogs have a, they have a lot of things going on, you know, usually medically and things, and they don't need that added stress. It's not good for their. For sure. Awesome. So, um, any specific thoughts about X pens and baby gates? Just they're, I, I think they're great. Use watch with the X pen. You have to be careful. Some dogs can climb them or jump them. Hmm. They're not as stable usually as baby gates because they're, you know, baby gates get mounted into that doorway, but yeah, I mean, I just had one additional, the crate situation, like I am, I'm very much pro crate in cars. So mm. like we will work on the crate outside of the car in the house, we'll work on the crate and then we'll kind of work on car feelings and then we'll merge the two. So like safety in the car with a crate, perfect, you know, cause the dog's not staying in there for hours and hours on end. So dogs can usually... They can usually adjust to that. Um, and a lot of times they feel a lot of safety with being a little bit more confined in the car, which is moving and, you know, lots of things going on outside. Um, so like that to me is a match made in heaven because the last thing we want is you to be, you know, distracted by your your dog in the car. But also yeah. if something happens, getting a, a crash tested crate even better. It's going to add another layer of security. So like in that situation, crates for me are definitely go-to. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, as far as kind of X pens and, and baby gates, baby gates. I love, I love baby gates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're probably one of my favorites because a lot of them, you know, there's so many different types now and you can put them in a lot different spaces. There's tall ones, there's short ones. There's ones with little doors, you know, there's ones that close automatically in case, you know, you accidentally forget or you're going through with your hands full. So, um, you know, baby gates can be really great, easy ways to manage our dogs, Things like the bottom of the stairs, the top of the stairs. If you have a little entryway and, you know, the front door, if you maybe are bringing in like your groceries, you know, your dog's behind the baby gate. You can come in and out depending on the setup of your house. Um, Baby gates, like I said, for me, I have two dogs and I manage them all the time because they're roommates, not a pack. And I want to make sure that they both feel comfortable. So we have a baby gate. Lycan has his own room. He goes in there for food, toys, enrichment, whatever he wants to really do. Um, And, you know, they're also supervised when they're together. And if we leave them, Lycan always goes in his room separate from Nero. So the ability to have a baby gate just in that kind of doorway allows me to very easily and quickly manage them if I I need to. Um, And, you know, we mentioned before about older dog, younger dog. When Lycan first came, he was nine months old. He was very much an adolescence and he's a working line dog. So he is bred to be doing police work, you know, guarding work, that kind of stuff. So he has a very active brain and he wants to play and Nero likes to sleep. So the combination sometimes (laughs) wasn't great. And so something we worked on very early on was an in-queue where he was very happy, almost running into the wall to get into his room um, so that I could say, okay, you know, 
one, two chances. Nero's wants to sleep. You're not responding. I can't really redirect you. Okay, let's manage the situation. So in, he goes in, I shut the baby gate. I give him some enrichment, you know, play with him a little bit in there. Ah, that solves that issue. And I don't have to worry about them creating a bad atmosphere for each other. Yeah, absolutely. And also I would say I have cats and um, baby gates are essential to an introduction of a new cat into your household. Mm. Uh, It's a really important step where they can start to sort of see and smell each other, but can't physically access each other, um, which is easiest with baby gates. Yeah, absolutely. New dogs as well. You know, if you're bringing a puppy home or a new rescue, having the ability to keep them separate by a baby gate where they can see each other, you know, they can interact minimally, but they have that option. It's not, you know, a dog just shows up one day, (laughs) you know, you can start to integrate them slowly, but I mean, baby gates are probably at the top of my, (laughs) at the top of my management list. Um, If I can put a baby gate in somewhere, I'm like, put a baby gate Um, because they're just so easy. Yeah. I had no idea there were such fancy ones. Hmm. I'm going yeah. to look into it. Look like a baby, ga- you know, my specialty is baby gates. Um, like, like a baby gate deal- dealer. You're like, I'm going to show up. First one's free. <laughs> I would. I would have stock in baby gates if I could. I mean, the other thing is like, we forget the element of actual babies, but like, you know, that yeah. also is another way to, to safely keep your child away from where your dog is. You know, having several kind of systems of management, especially if, you know, I don't really work in in person anymore. And when I used to go in for like aggressive dogs and stuff like that, but just even having that as like a double, like a two tiered, like management system. Yeah, absolutely. You know, baby gates can serve very easily as one of those. And, you know, it's amazing how sometimes people I'm like, well, did you think about maybe putting like a baby gate there or some kind of management? And they're like, I never thought about a baby gate. And then instantly, you know, the dog who maybe, like I said, running upstairs to go and, you know, pee on the carpet. Well, how does the dog get upstairs? Oh, well, you know, this is, okay, let's put a baby gate. And then boom, the dog is not doing that behavior anymore because we did a simple thing like management, which stands on its own and we don't have to think about. Yeah. And I would like to touch on this really quickly because I just recorded a reel where I sort of ranted about this, where I feel (laughs) like I get a lot of pushback from clients when I recommend management things, especially things like baby gates that uh, mess up the aesthetic of their house. And the truth is like, I just, the reason I was equating it with baby stuff was because I just came from a visit with family with a baby. And I was like, you can, there's, You can tell that a house has a baby the minute you walk in because the entire environment is tailored to the safety of the baby, right? But we won't do it for the dogs. Do you know what I mean? Like we won't make changes in our environment. They just say, well, can't you just train him not to do that? It's like, okay, but you don't expect the baby to know not to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean... I've been fairly lucky. I think going virtual for me, um, you know, I have a, a process of getting clients and I think all of the clients that come to me now understand how I work. And before I would have situations very similar to what you just described is like, we have unrealistic expectations and we have to have a talk about, you know, a nice talk about what the expectations should be. And to be honest, the expectations should be rather low because especially in that scenario, you're asking the dog 
to understand multiple things, like why they're not supposed to do that and the repercussions of doing that and, Mm -hmm. you know, how it makes you feel and, you know, the cost of something that maybe they just, like, there's no way that you can understand that. Whereas if we put management in place, you don't have to think about it. So like, that's what I generally will say to people is, you know, if they do hesitate with, with management, ask yourself, how many times do you have to get your dog back from upstairs? How many times do you have to worry about, has he peed? Where is he? What's going on? You know, how many times have you had socks destroyed or, you know, your kid's toys destroyed or the dog has done something like ripped up something of yours with management? It's not foolproof, but with management, you know, in place, that goes away almost immediately, you know, like you don't have to worry about it. It's something that is just there. So you could live like that and you could get really frustrated or you could use a management tool and you have one less thing to worry about. Yes, exactly. And I think also it's great, as you said, we need to change the expectation because the onus is on us when we're thinking about babies. But for some reason, we put the onus on the dog. Like if a baby gets through our management, we're like, oh my God, that's my fault. I wasn't looking or I didn't notice that that was something they would get to. If a dog does it, the dog's just a jerk. Yeah. And and something I tell clients all the time is, you know, your dog at full maturity. So if we're dealing with an adolescent or a puppy, your dog at full maturity has about the cognition level of a two-year-old child. So, you know, people, clients with children, you know, you can say to them, what was your child like it too? Did they make good decisions? Did they understand like what they were doing or why they were doing or the repercussion? No, they can't. So when you look at your dog and think, why did you do that? You know, you know better. Does your dog know better? Like think about, you know, that two-year-old child. So sometimes kids, you know, in the situation, like clients with children, that makes it a little bit easier for them. But you're absolutely right. You know, we think that the dog should be doing things and doing things yesterday. You know, mm-hmm. why is he doing this? I taught him this. You know, he he isn't listening to me. He's All had these six weeks of, of obedience classes. He knows better. <laughs> I, I used to say at the beginning of my puppy classes, I'm like, this is, you know, six weeks, but is your dog trained? No. <laughs> like there, yeah. you know, this has to keep, keep going. You have to do yeah. this on a, a regular basis. But yeah, we do. We have a lot of expectations or even those who don't go to training classes, you know, and they wonder why my dog isn't listening to me. And puppies are deceptive. I love to say that puppies are deceptive because puppies are like, I love you and I want to listen to you and I want to do things with you. And I, I just love everyone. And then adolescence hits and they're like, I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> you know, like So like they're so eager and they're so happy and joyful and everything's like, you know, kittens and rainbows. And then the hormones start. So, you know, yes, your puppy might be doing certain things, um, but that behavior is, is going to probably shift in adolescence and then it's going to shift again. So if you wait all that time to teach your dog something, thinking that they're going to grow out of it, that's just a long time to practice that behavior. 
thank you, Renee, for joining me these last two episodes. My biggest takeaways from our conversation about equipment are that there are so many options and it's easy to get overwhelmed, but taking the time to learn the function of any equipment so you can choose it and use it thoughtfully is really the key to success. And if you're confused, seek out a certified force-free trainer to help you wade through it all. We're always happy to take the time to explain it and train you to use it and to help with management techniques as well as training. Thank you all for stopping by the dojo to learn with me this week. This is your aspiring sensei, Susan Light, signing off. You can find me at doggydojopodcast.com or I'm Susan Light LA on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook. The music was written by Mac Light. You can find him at maclightsongwriter.com. If you like the show, you can support it by subscribing, sharing it with your friends, rating it, and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode of the Doggy Dojo.